everybody. Welcome to the Creative Processing Podcast. My name is Joe Gordon-Levitt. The idea of this show is to have a conversation about the creative process. Uh, that conversation starts with a question. New question every episode. That question comes from you out there asking those good questions on the internet. And then I find a guest, someone who I think would be really good at answering that question. And we talk about it for an hour or so or less or more. This week, my guest is the artist Shepard Ferry. He's probably most known for the Hope Obama poster with that incredible kind of graphic treatment. You also might know him for the Andre the Giant Has a Posse Obey campaign, which you've probably seen in any number of contexts. If you've ever spent any time in any uh, American metropolis, you've probably seen it (laughs) stenciled onto various or stickered onto various signs or street corners. I grew up looking at it and always being like, what? What is that? <laughs> Until I learned, like, oh, it's it's subversive art. <laughs> but uh, but I think Shepard is going to be really good at answering this week's question. The question is from Shishuraj Karmalkar from Mumbai, India. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that perfectly, but I don't want to try to do a Hindi accent and fuck it up. The question is, how do you wrestle with the statement that artists are selfish? since they're off worrying about their art and not devoting more energy to political rebellion in troubled times. This is definitely something I personally think about a lot. We're all, I think, perhaps more politically focused in the last few years as things have become increasingly politically polarizing. But even before that, I, you know, I was brought up by parents who were fairly politically active, politically aware, and was always sort of taught to consider that and, and definitely always wondered, well, am I doing my part? Am I helping it all by telling stories, making movies? It's a valid question. And I thought Shepard Ferry would be excellent at answering the question because his art tends to be, it's not exclusively so, but tends to be rather political in nature. Uh, I know y'all out there might not be tuning into this show to hear a conversation about politics. This is a show about the creative process. However, I think in, in certain respects, it's hard to divorce the two. And this is what we get into. So here's, uh, here's the intersection of where, where art meets politics. Shepard Ferry. Shepard Ferry, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for being here, man. Thanks, Joe. Happy to be here. (laughs) Okay, so as I told you before, the idea is to have one question about the creative process and then spawn a litany of tangents around a conversation from that one question. But I thought you'd be good for this question. It comes from Mumbai, India. The guy's name is uh, Shishuraj Karmalkar. Um, Here's a question. How do you wrestle with the statement that artists are selfish since they're off worrying about their art and not devoting more energy to political rebellion in troubled times. So I'll just give you first crack at that, and then (laughs) we'll go from there. I mean, luckily, this is something I've considered quite a bit. So um, I feel prepared for this question. I thought you might. And and I, I do agree that artists are very fortunate that they have the luxury of um, 
dabbling in what a lot of people would consider to be maybe superficial or self-absorbed. But what I think is that art has the ability to connect with people and everyone gets to connect with it in their own way. That's very special that it's um, it's got a very personal thing and a universal thing to it. Mm-hmm. But you can also address things that matter in the world with art. And that's my strategy. I don't speak for all artists, but I I understand how fortunate I am to get to make pictures for a living. Yeah. So I treat I treat it like um, I've seen other artists I admire treat it. And a lot of those artists come from the music space, not the visual art space. Uh-huh. People like Bob Marley or, or uh, Bob Dylan, uh, Joe Strummer from The Clash, mm-hmm. um, Chuck D from Public Enemy, using their medium to say something and create enjoyable content, entertainment, however you want to put it. That's what I'm trying to do with with my visual art. And not only am I trying to highlight social and political topics with my art that I think need to be addressed, I'm also using the revenue from my art to contribute to the people who are doing the work on the ground that moves the needle on an issue. What I've tried to do is take my self-absorbed artist's nature and find a way to channel that constructively. Because I acknowledge that the thing about art is I can spend, I can spend hours and hours and like no one else matters. I I might eventually realize I'm hungry or have to go to the bathroom, Uh but time just disappears when I'm in the zone trying to solve a problem. And it's, it's amazing therapy for me. I'm lucky to have it. Do you think when you follow those selfish, one could use the word selfish urges that it actually makes the work more impactful? In one sense, which is that I don't think I'm that different or special. And so if it's giving me a feeling, uh, a, a good feeling, a feeling that I've achieved something, that it's uh, it's something I would want to look at, which is in a way very selfish, yeah. then I think that's a feeling I can trust that other people might get the same reaction from it. Now, mm. not everyone's the same. So obviously that's you know not going to be perfectly consistent, but in in a weird way, my gut, which nothing could really be more selfish than your gut right. on a lot of things, uh, yeah. um, has served me well in creating things that other people can connect with. So then do you think that artists are a necessary part of how it all works, how a society works, how a democracy, you could say, works? Like, Do you think that art needs to be there in order for it to function right? I really can't imagine a world without it, so I guess... Yeah, I'd say it's pretty important. But to me, creativity in the art space and, you know, there's so many different realms where I think there's creativity. There's a lot of creativity in science. Yes. But creativity through the arts, I think a lot of people see it as a way to sort of uh, manifest the human condition, which humans are social we want to have sometimes not vulnerable conversations directly, but we want to have conversations that share what we feel and who we are. Yeah. And art is a way to do that without having to say, man, I need, I need therapy. My life's not great. <laughs> Let me go um, see a scientist. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> well, you know, that psychology, there's, there's science and maybe some art mixed together maybe, right there. Yeah, right. <laughs> I actually, I'm, I'm keying in on you mentioning that there's creativity in science and cause 
the difference between art and science is something that fascinates me. And when I think of this question of, is it selfish for an artist to do art, especially in times of you know political polarization, et cetera, I do think about the role of art in kind of where we've arrived at today. Mm-hmm. And it kind of pains me to say it sometimes because I consider myself an artist most days and love creativity, love storytelling. And yet right now, sometimes I feel like that's the problem. Like our politics is too influenced by art and storytelling and not influenced enough by logic, reason, science, you know, the kind of the cold hard facts that is not really the domain of artists, if you will. Like, I think our current president is probably a really incompetent government leader, but he's an effective storyteller, at least to his audience, such that he was, you know, able to win an election. And like, sh- are we paying too much attention? Are we giving too much power to artists, I guess, in our, in our politics, in our government? I, I hadn't really thought of it that way. Trump, the Picasso of hate, fear, and division. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Hitler was a failed artist. Um, yeah, and and like actually, I mean, Hitler, the the Nazi regime had an incredible propaganda department and pioneered all kinds of filmmaking techniques. Like, if you go back and watch the, have you ever seen um, Lenny Triumph of the Yeah, Lenny yeah. Riefenstahl, exactly. Yeah. They're incredible films, especially for their time. Yeah, really beautiful. Yeah, the celebration of the human form and perfection right. and lighting and every. I mean, yeah, you. I I do think that people are. Um, People are seduced by things like that. Now, I maybe wrongly believe that most artists in creating have to connect with a side of their humanity that makes them more compassionate, more empathetic, mm-hmm. because there's something in, share, in, in sharing a part of yourself that I, I think makes you relate to others. Now, there is propaganda that's coming from a more clinical standpoint. We've analyzed what humans' trigger points are. This mm-hmm. is how we manipulate them. Right. But I don't think that most art is is about that. What, what I'm trying to do with a lot of my art is actually, you know, combat the easy tactics of, you know, creating a narrative around um, scapegoating immigrants or, you know, fearing people that don't have the same religion you do or whatever. And and trying to find something to to say this is this is shared humanity. We have a lot more in common than than what divide us, set us apart, and uh, and you know and push back. But I acknowledge that what I'm doing in a way is what I would consider positive propaganda versus you know negative propaganda. Propaganda is a word you use a lot in your work. Yeah, I do, and it's because. I want to be transparent that any image with an agenda, which is actually most images, is a form of propaganda. It's just whether you try to hide that fact or whether you're honest about it. I want to say this is where I'm coming from. This is to start a conversation about this and you make up your own mind. Where a lot of propaganda is like your mind is made up for you yeah. and this should seal the deal. Sure. Well, um, and, they, and it does exactly the opposite of admitting to be propaganda. Exactly. Like when you have uh, – what's O'Reilly's thing? The no spin zone. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, you're not – but everything is spun. Everything is yeah. coming from yeah. a perspective, from an agenda – 
But yeah, the calling something or what is it? Fair and balanced. Fox right, calls right. itself oh, fair yeah. and balanced. It's like, oh no, this is just this is just objective truth. There's, there's no art here. It's not propaganda. Whereas what you're saying is be upfront about the fact that yeah, you're communicating an agenda. Exactly. And um, I hadn't heard the term until I guess maybe 2015 or so, but um really the the rise of Trump's rhetoric and every his his ilk but um how they'd figured out that through social media research you know the phenomenon of of you know confirmation bias that people end up mm. wanting to curate their their news and their you know their opinions based on backing up what they already believe like lawyers for themselves yeah. but you know i think what's happened is that there are a lot of people who figured out how to harness that tendency within people. With my art, I'm I'm trying to do something different. That's all I can say. Yeah. So, do you have a different definition for art versus propaganda? What's the difference? Um, I think it's very muddy. Actually, mm-hmm. um, people ask me. They say, "Well, what's your you know your definition between design and art?" Well, mm-hmm. design. A lot of people think is an aesthetic that something is not painterly; it's crisp and graphic, and that makes it design. But Robert Indiana's work, um, a lot of Andy Warhol's work, a lot of Jasper Johns' work, a lot of you know Barbara Kruger—they're all considered artists, but their work is very design aesthetic heavy. Right. And I think intent is what makes something art rather rather than design, and something that could be considered. Propaganda, in a sense, and design, in a sense, can also be art if the creator's intention is for it to have latitude for interpretation that gives some freedom and respect and, you know, interpretive abilities to the viewer, that it's work that creates a conversation rather than saying, this is the end of the conversation, agree with me, or you're wrong. Right. So you're almost inviting the audience of the art to participate in a creative process and make their own meaning out of the art, that that's, that's art versus propaganda. You're trying to just, just manipulate them into feeling yeah, one it's, way. Uh, okay, so here's the desired end result in terms of how it's going to shift their views and get them to behave the way you want. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, with my, with my work, what I view all the time is that okay, somehow they've been told, look over here, don't look over here. And I'm like, please, please take a second to look over here. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it's up to you. Okay. So can you, can you apply that then to so your, your iconic signature sort of uh, logo, if you will, the Obey Andre the Giant thing? Yeah. Can you talk about that? Because what you just said invoked the whole obey image to me of like take a second Mm -hmm. to look over here not only in the image itself but also in where you put the image the fact that it's not hung in galleries or i guess maybe nowadays it is but that it didn't start as something that was hung in galleries and even today even though you do galleries i still see the fucking andre the giant (laughs) eyes all over this city um so can you just talk about like what are the politics or like what is your the agenda or the propaganda or the intent behind that obey image sure well i started in 1989 30 years ago can you believe it um <laughs> with this um 
sticker of Andre the Giant that I just made. I was trying to teach a friend how to make a stencil, and he got frustrated, so I finished it, and I said, oh, yeah, this is going to be our new crew, our new posse, the Andre posse. And uh, mm. I went and I made some stickers and gave them to my skateboard friends and put some around at some spots in Providence, Rhode Island, where I was living. And next thing you know, people were asking me, like, hey, man, I heard you're the guy with the stickers. Can I, you know, can I get some Andre stickers? <laughs> it was like a secret handshake. Uh-huh. And, um, and then beyond that, I was really only putting them in the places where I thought my peers, the people that thought like me that were part of my culture would notice them. So at skate spots, on stop signs, at um, some of the music venues. But it it was resonating with other people. And what I realized was that this sticker was intriguing people. One, because Andre the Giant is intriguing. But two, because – it was just showing up in random spots and and why? And people were asking, why is it there? And I realized yeah, yeah. people are so conditioned to just being confronted with advertising and government signage that something that's a little disruptive, it's like, uh, you know, some people it made mad. It was like weeds growing up through the sidewalk. Like, mm-hmm. why hasn't this sidewalk been manicured? Yeah. And um, And other people thought it was a great sign of, you know, something bubbling underground. And I thought, this is fascinating. I'm going to push this further. And then I I started to add, after seeing John Carpenter's movie, They Live, Uh I started to add the Obey into it. And the reason I wanted to evolve away from a wrestling reference, because really what I was about was about getting people to question things. And that's been sort of my mantra all along, is question everything. Was Was that the intent when you first started making the sticker, or that then evolved after it had started to catch on? No, there was no big, you know, uh, a philosophical reason for making it originally. It was sort of just a quick inside joke with some friends because everything in skateboarding was, okay, that band has more than 50 followers. They sold out. We got to move to the next more exclusive thing. And right. so, and you're talking about followers, by the way, way before social media, quote unquote, oh, followers. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking about people they, that show up people, at a yeah, show. Yeah. And um, what? They made like 20 cassettes. Right. They totally sold out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, so it, it, it started off as, as just um, me doing all the sort of obnoxious things that 19-year-old skateboarders do. But then I did love the Dead Kennedys and Orwell and, and Ray Bradbury, all these you know influences I had that were looking at – the toxic side of the status quo is the way I would put it. Uh-huh. And so there was an intuitive part of, uh, of it where I wanted to be disruptive, but just sort of because I'm a prankster and I like to mess with people. But then I saw an opportunity to, to evolve it in a way that I thought was more profound. And also, you know, you, you were talking about ego and self-absorption. Right. At first, when I was making the stickers, going to an art school, Rhode Island School of Design, that's an excellent school with, uh, I thought I had really barely the goods to get into the school. Nothing was great was ever going to happen for me. It was very intimidating. Everything had ever already been done. But doing the sticker was just like one way for me to say, hey, I exist and this is what what I demonstrate it with. You know, it was very... um, very primitive in a way, but then I decided I wanted to, as I started to develop my identity as an artist, I wanted to evolve it in a, in a direction that still had that sense of mischief, but was a little bit more serious. And using the word obey seemed 
like the you know the most provocative, powerful thing I could do because I consider blind obedience to be one of the biggest problems we have in society. But right. blind obedience comes from people wanting to be liked, not wanting to step out of line and be and be judged and criticized. And then, you know, and that's a, that's a very subconscious thing. And there's, you know, uh, not wanting to get in trouble for breaking laws or breaking rules. But um, how many times have you heard, well, that's just not the way it's done. You know, here's what people do. My parents would always say stuff like that to me. Yeah. But the idea of making obedience not something sort of you know, in the ether, but something concrete that you had to make a choice about. Like, am I busting through this, going around it, s- submitting to it? So using the word obey in the work, that was rendering it in a way that people had to deal with consciously. See, th- this is fascinating because, th- so the original question is, is it selfish to make art in politically troubled times? And here you're talking about this thing which originated from what I understand, like the way you just told it, it sounded like there is something selfish about the original... The original action of doing the sticker, you said it was like, well, it's sort of this inside joke or it was a way for me to feel like I was something, sort of solidify my own identity to myself. And then it evolved Mm -hmm. into, as you just put it, uh, your what you're saying, what you wanted to say about one of the things that you think is the most important patterns in society of, of sort of blind obedience, like you say. So... It sort of did both. It started out selfish yeah. and then ended up something beyond that. It still has that. There's an aspect of my ego. Every time I put up a sticker, it's um, it's probably not that much more advanced than like a dog peeing on a fire hydrant. <laughs> you still put up stickers. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the time. But I like to think that I'm channeling that impulse in a way that also has, you know, has some constructive benefit for, you know, for society. And not everyone agrees, but, um, you know, some people are like, hey, you know, you're a troublemaker, you're a vandal. And, you know, I, I everyone's entitled to their opinion. But in a, in a lot of ways, that that fear of stepping outside the lines that I think those reactions represent is exactly what I'm protesting in the first place. So, right. it's, you know, it, it's not does not dissuade me. Yeah, no, <laughs> well, clearly not. You've been doing it for a while. Okay, so then if we're going to talk about art being political and not being selfish, you have to then think about, well, what is the impact that it's having? And I imagine this is something you think about. If you, if you are thinking of your work and your creativity in, in political terms, you must be thinking like, okay, well, is it working? Like, am I having the impact that I want to be having? How can I tell? How do you think about that? Well, some things are easier to tell than others. For example, the when I did the Hope poster for Obama, yep. that went viral so quickly, I realized, you know, this is making a difference in terms of how people can visually represent their support for Obama. Right. I mean, the great thing about the Hope poster was it was standing on the shoulders of all the tremendous inspiration that Obama was providing people. Mm-hmm. And he had a great campaign logo. But the the portrait that has a, a humanity mixed with a, a sort of heroic symbolism, mm-hmm. there wasn't anything that existed at the time that was filling that need. Right. I remember it when it came out. It was like that just – it did. It evoked a feeling. It summed it right up in one instant when you saw that image. And only 
art can really do that. You, you, that doesn't come from facts or arguments or, you know, more long-form communication. That can just come from art. I guess that's the power of it. My assumption at the time was that other people are inspired by this guy, but the Bush years made a lot of people very cynical. So mm-hmm. how do you crystallize those feelings of you know, hope, like it says in the in the poster. And yeah. uh, and then, you know, ho- when people are hopeless, they don't act. When they do have hope, it's much more likely to motivate them to act. So, um, I, you know, I, I'm really happy that worked. And then when Trump was elected and it was all about fear and, and division and so many things that to me seemed un-American, um, I worked on the series We the People, which same color palette as the Hope poster, but with people who weren't famous as the subjects, just the groups that had been most disparaged. So um, an African-American, a a Latina, Mm -hmm. and a Muslim woman with some copywriting that was developed by a friend of mine that I, of course, weighed in on and agreed with. But, you know, uh, we the people defend dignity. We mm-hmm. we the people support each other. And we the people are greater than fear. Mm-hmm. I thought these are not going to go over that well. This is a time when everyone's about identity politics and their own little tribe and not about not about unity, not about, you know, common humanity. But they those things went crazy mm-hmm. vi- viral. So. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no way for me to predict what's going to work other than this feels like the need right now. Right. And and so, you know, I did that. And not everything works as well as those images. But um, even though looking at social media comments can be so depressing, I do it anyway, uh, at least, you know, sometimes t- so that I do feel like I have a dialogue with the public and – that when people, you know, anonymously without a filter, uh, you know, feel like they can say whatever they want, a lot of times it's really mean, but sometimes it's meaningful. And yeah. sometimes it, it's uh, there's an insight that I didn't expect. And I think that's very useful. But I guess, you know, the question that, that I asked was, how do you know if you're making an impact? And social media is one way of measuring that impact. Well, seeing stuff in the real world, too. When I make free downloads of my images and they show up at March for Our Lives, at, yeah. at you know, at the Women's March, mm-hmm. at... Oh, I remember oh, seeing oh, those images. I went to the Women's March in L.A. And I remember I remember the one that you're talking about of, I don't remember the woman's name, but the Muslim woman that you gave that, like, the Hope poster treatment to. And a lot of people were holding that up. But that see, that's the point. She didn't have to be somebody known. She was a, you know, an archetype that could be anyone and when we're dealing with celebrity be, being such, uh, you know, an important part of currency of value that people took these symbols and thought they were valuable without it being a Kardashian. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do. You th- it's, it's funny. You bring up like, OK, but what about the real world? Because I sometimes do wonder you can count likes or things retweets or whatever on social media and think ah this is making a difference i'm having an impact on the world or someone is having an impact yeah. on the world and sometimes i wonder is that is that a bit of an illusion like it seems like an impact because it's making the numbers go up on a certain platform but 
What impact is it really, really having? I guess when it comes to then a popular election, if it's helping bring out the vote or something. Uh, but but, that, but you're but you're right. How how can you measure what degree of efficacy it has? Mm-hmm. Um, because you'll you'll see something, some viral video, and be you know like. Oh, you know, the media studies studies person said it got 80 million impressions yeah. and um, mm-hmm. blah, you know, and I never even know exactly what that means. But when an, an election is lost by 50,000 votes, yeah. you know, you think, well, that that one video should have yeah. won the election. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, it is hard to know. And I, as much as I use all these tools, I like to get out in the real world and do things. I like to paint murals in public. I like to do other street art. I, um, I still love to see, you know, a, a rally where human beings congregate and there's molecules colliding. I think the more we live our lives inside our, you know, our phones and our computers, um, you know, the more maybe desensitized we are to what's meaningful about human connection. So it's uh, because the thing I like about what I do, I don't mean like what I think is great about it. I mean, for <laughs> me, that it, I get to, I get to create in solitude and, and work through a problem. It's very therapeutic. And then I share it a number of different ways. I'm, I'm going to share it online, but I'm also going to make prints. I'm going to make stickers and make t-shirts and I'm probably going to paint a mural where I'm out in the, in the street and someone comes around a corner and they go, whoa, yeah, that wasn't here yesterday. Like, how long have you been working on this? Yeah. What's the story? And you can see just how emotional it is for them. For sure, it's it's very visceral. And yeah, you know, I think that even even when you're going through some of the most amazing videos and images on your phone, it doesn't elicit the same kind of reaction. No, no, for sure. I actually, I don't think I've seen you since. I remember encountering a big mural of yours in downtown New York City on like Houston Street and. Maybe Allen or something like that. I don't know if uh, Bowery, Bowery, yeah, yeah. Bowery, yeah. Uh-huh. And and uh, and having yeah, when something is so big, just physically big, it's like you say, it's so different than we're we're so conditioned now to seeing everything the size of our phone. Yeah, it's powerful. It's really powerful. But I want to get to so you you started talking a bit about making stuff. And I want to make sure I, I have time to ask you like about that, about your actual process. So, and in terms of the question of doing art in politically charged times, mm-hmm. tell me about how you approach making something. Do you, is, do you, I mean, I imagine there's a case by case basis to some degree, but like, are you considering a message at the outset, are you considering like the aesthetic at the outset? Like, are you considering the audience? Who's who's this for? Like, what are the things that are on your mind when you're first starting to make something? It's all of those things, and it can start from any number of places. Sometimes it's something simple like a song lyric. You know, I've done a lot of stuff around the environment, and I've loved the Rolling Stones for years. But one day I was just listening to the Rolling Stones and the song Paint It Black. And I thought, you know, oil-based paint is black. Oil is black. I'm just going to make a piece making, uh, you know, I see the green earth and I want to paint it black. And then that evolved into two different solutions. But um, 
but I was like, that's the copy that I want in this. And now I'm going to figure out how to render it. Mm. You know, one of the versions is, um, is, is a hand holding a, a, a paint can with sort of almost a, like a Russian constructivist style angular background, but it looks like a mixture between an, an old paint ad and, and a piece of Russian propaganda. But it's, um, you know, it says, uh, you know, black oil-based policy and, uh, you know, um, the most luxurious black while supplies last, you know, uh-huh. like all these things that are say, taking what you would normally see in packaging or ad copy and then making them have a double read for oil's impact on the on the environment. And, you know, th- figuring out how to have that pop art sensibility, that connection to music, the environmental thing, and, um, you know, and then my love of uh, the Russian constructivist propaganda all all merge and, and, and not compete but be harmonious. Like, that's such a fun problem to solve. It can start – so it started with a song lyric, but then it went to, you know, all these other things I'm interested in. How am I going to – how am I going to throw that into the batter? You know what I mean? Right. Um, so it, there wasn't necessarily a linear sequence to how you were doing it. It's oh, sort of a lot of stuff floating around in your yeah. head that kind of collides. A lot of the things I do, they'll have a linear stretch and then it goes nonlinear because I hit a you know a wall in terms of how to get to an ideal solution. So I moved to another project. And a lot of times when I moved to the other project, the solution for the thing I was stuck on comes out of trying to solve that problem uh-huh. because... You know, I, I find that when I'm getting closer to the finish line on a piece that, like, the number of things I'm trying goes down a narrower and narrower tunnel, really. Yeah. So sometimes going to a new thing, you know, it it, it expands the lens again. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. and so, you know, that, that tends to work pretty well for me. But, um, you know, other times I'll see a movie, I'll read a newspaper article, I'll see a piece of art that's you know old or new that isn't anything like what I do but it sparks an idea that I'm going to just solve with my sensibility and so it can come from so many different places uh, I just try to be really receptive and stay stimulated and mm-hmm. you know sometimes I'm watching I'm watching the news and I think yeah there's like 10 pieces that I could do based on just all the horrific things that I saw on the news today but then I have to take a take a breath and and decide what's really worth it because I'm also frequently looking at how to deal with what's topical but maybe isn't going to seem outdated in a week. Yeah. And uh and so you know there's that that struggle. When you ask yourself what's worth it, are you thinking what's worth it for in terms of what kind of impact you can make or are you thinking what's worth it in terms of what's going to yield some really beautiful art or is money, it both or money money that's it. yeah sure it's just All money. like how can i yeah. what's gonna what's gonna move units yeah um <laughs> no it's it's a combination of all those things here's an example of something that an idea i had that i never i never um finished because i couldn't think of how to make it visually appealing um, you know, I consider I can. I was horrified by all the drone strikes that were called signature strikes, where you don't even know who you're exactly getting, but they they're exhibiting behaviors that are part of a pattern that would loosely lump you into the enemy combatant category. And a lot of yeah. times, that's like teenage couriers and th- people like that. And uh, you know, in in the armed forces, 
you know, the most shameful thing is a d- dishonorable discharge. Yeah. And I, you know, I considered a lot of the drone attacks to be dishonorable discharge. Mm-hmm. So I was going to do a, you know, a drone firing and, um, and some copy dishonorable discharge. But then I thought, you know what? I can't think how to make this appealing. It's only depressing. Right. So, right. you know, there you go. I'm walking you all through my creative process and mm-hmm. I'll, I'm, uh, Caller 10, if you've got a good solution. <laughs> to make a drone and dishonorable <laughs> discharge uplifting. <laughs> but understand that any, uh, any suggestions become property of, uh, <laughs> of Joe and Shepard. Well, how, how, how about like someone else, how someone else, you're talking about like, is it depressing or can it be uplifting? Do you ever have moments where you're like, geez, I meant this to be interpreted one way or I meant this to uh, impact people one way and it's having a different impact than what I anticipated? Yeah, that happens sometimes. Um, I grew up in the South and I, I actually grew up um, you know, duck hunting with my dad and quail hunting with my dad. I never, I feel sorry for animals. So I, you know, I always had, um, I enjoyed the bonding with my dad because it was one of the few things he was really passionate about sharing with me. Yeah. But I'm not, I just think that gun culture is terrifying for the most part. And, and the hypocrisy between, um, you know, uh, thou shalt not kill and a lot of Christian values and, Mm. um, and people's obsession with with guns just seemed it seemed very contradictory to me. So I did a piece that said um, it had a, a had an assault rifle, and it said uh, it said America, the land where God saves and Satan invests in <laughs> assault rifles and high capacity magazines. Uh-huh. And um, <laughs> it made me smile. So it's not purely depressing. Yeah. So, but um, what I found out was that a lot of my audience are gun lovers and they were so angry with me and I got so much vitriol from that. And I, you know, and then other people were saying, so you're saying if you're Christian and you have a gun that you really are a a Satan lover. And, Uh and I thought, well, this thing, I don't think it's that complicated to break down rationally, Mm -hmm. but this isn't a rational issue. Yeah. Attachment to guns is an emotional issue. And I, I didn't mean to just, you know, trigger and alienate a huge number of people with the with the gun stuff i'm very frustrated by all the mass shootings and everything but mm. what i what, i guess what i'm getting to is that i realized that maybe that print wasn't the best way to talk about that issue because it was further polarizing and and right. then you're just right kind of preaching to the choir as opposed to reaching across yeah, and and you know, talking about people's uh, you know uh, religion in a way that's sort of um, disrespectful, even if in my opinion they're disrespecting the tenets of the religion themselves, mm-hmm. it's still not helpful. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because it does seem like, and this goes back to one of the things I said earlier about is 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 there too much art in politics? Because it does seem like. In a way, what art is best at is getting a lot of people who already feel a certain way to feel even more strongly that way. Like when you go to a concert and you're, everyone in the crowd is like really into that band, you're all just so feeling it. Like yeah. you're not going to 
enter a debate into whether or not like you know you like this song or what, like that's a concert's not the place for that and i just i don't know i wonder like i don't know is art polarizing in that way well yeah i went to art school so <laughs> yeah art is extremely polarizing <laughs> you know oh my god warhol he was such a hack oh my god he's the most brilliant marketer best artist working with the metabolism of our culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, you're going to hear from even people who agree on most things a lot of contentious debates about art. And, um, But I don't know whether – I don't know whether art is really contributing to polarization. I mean, it's interesting how people latch on to symbols and the the kind of meme culture that – you could say it's art and design based in a sense. Mm-hmm. Remember the 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 Joker? Uh, it was the Joker makeup on Obama, but it said socialism. Oh no! Um, that became a right wing meme, and it's using a pop culture reference and you know uh, comparing Obama to the Joker and mm-hmm. um, not calling Obama a socialist, but saying that basically he is socialism. Yeah, <laughs> it's like if this germ replicates, yeah. there's more socialism. Um, uh-huh. So I had a lot of. <laughs> A lot of issues with that one just because, you know, I, I thought it was uh, not well done, racist, um, inaccurate about his economic policies. <laughs> yeah. You know, Obama was plenty of capitalist. Indeed. Which I'm not saying is necessarily a good thing. But, but yeah, I mean, you could say that's art, but I don't – to me, that's – it's kind of um, – it's more like a visual wisecrack. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether that qualifies as art. Uh-huh. But I've made plenty of visual wisecracks myself. Yeah, so. you said the Obey like, thing kind of started that way. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's part of the debate, I guess. I, I, maybe one of the reasons I'm reluctant to say that art is part of the problem is that I have such a strong faith in art as a, as a healing tool. Yeah, okay. Say more about that. I do stuff around incarceration reform. When you introduce art and music into prison programs, mm-hmm. the recidivism rate drops in half. That means your likelihood to be arrested again and be reincarcerated. Is that right? Drops in yeah, half. Yeah, drops in when, half. When prisoners 50%. Get to do art and music. And I, I think it's because when people find an outlet to express their feelings, their frustrations, their aspirations, they don't behave as badly because. I mean, how often have you felt frustrated that you were painted into a corner and like, man, I'm going to blow. Like, this sucks that I I feel like I don't have – there's no way out of this. And a lot of people – I almost never feel like that because of where I am in my career and all the fortunate things that I've, I've, I've built for myself. But there were there were many years of my life where I was – first 10 years of my art career, I was living you know, hand-to-mouth, poverty-level – always frustrated that I was either going to have to ask my landlord for an extension or not pay my, uh, you know, the heating bill or the phone bill. And, you know, there were, there were some times where I felt like I I could enter a falling down situation where I just leave my car in traffic on the 405 and go nuts. And uh, art has been an amazing way for me to combat those kinds of feelings even then when i was feeling quite depressed and 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 you know desperate yeah. um so i think it 
I think it's good for a lot of people. I I, I very much agree. So I so I'll unpack this a bit more because I'm I'm fascinated about this, and I I'll you know tip my hand to say, of course, I don't want to think that art is the problem, and I tend to like to believe that art or creativity can be part of the solution. But there is a difference between the the art we were just talking about as potentially contributing to polarization versus the art you were just talking about that can be so healing. And the difference I see is one has to do with the kind of the results of the art and one has to do with the process of the art that it's healing for somebody to engage in a creative process. It's healing for a prisoner to play music or to paint or whatever that recidivism goes down or it's you were describing art for yourself being a, a place of comfort in, in time in stressful times in your life. And I've definitely experienced that myself. And I, like you, I think if, uh, I've been lucky to not experience terrible adversity in my life. I've had one or two, you know, bad, really bad moments, but, uh, and, but in those times, uh, being able to be creative and, ex- and express myself has, I have found been really helpful Mm-hmm. not because of what I made, but mm-hmm. just because mm-hmm. of sort of the the act of making it. Yeah. So let's set aside for a second the healing power of doing art and just talk for a second about, okay, but the art itself, especially politically charged art, something that is saying, here's an agenda, this candidate is good or this policy is good or this candidate is bad or this policy is bad or this ideology is good or bad etc are those works of art can they be helpful i i think they can be um i i think that understanding the power of art can enable someone to be a manipulator um you know that uh um a lot of the people who have been advising the Trump team are people from Fox News. I don't know whether you've watched The Loudest Voice. I want to. It was just recommended to me. Yeah, but under understanding political theater and how many people want to feel aggrieved, so you give them sources of their grievances to for them to be angry about, and you know, as a supposed newscaster, but basically just a um, Um, storyteller a storyteller an orator uh you know knowing knowing what your audience wants to hear and just giving them that yeah that you could say that's an art form that maybe that's why i'm asking this is it like when i look at politicians up on stage doing a debate or giving a speech or whatever i think to myself that's basically what i do it looks just like what i do they're giving a performance they have a script yeah and they're trying to get their audience to feel something. And is that how we should be deciding what our government does and what our policies are is like through these stories that these performers are delivering? Like, is that what we ought to be doing? Well, that that's just a that's a big question. Uh, my wife and I did an initiative called Make America Smart Again, which was... <laughs> Uh, you know, subverting Make America Great Again to ask people to, one, vote, but two, 
research the issues in a meaningful way that impact them so that they can vote responsibly. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people want to watch the, you know, the debates and the charisma of the candidate and whether they had a snappy answer or sent a clever tweet. And, um, and that's what they're going to make their decision based on and not research anything deeper. And to get back to your original question of how art can be a factor in the degradation of our democracy and the division of people. I think that if art packages a lazy answer or a talking point and then people are like now having an even more viral, easily transmittable version of my lazy take on everything, I don't think that's helpful. Right. I agree. But I think that that's also maybe just a symptom of something deeper fundamentally mm-hmm. and so i don't know whether i don't know whether the those types of pieces of art are contributing to that shallowness or that laziness or whether they are popular as a result right of the shallowness and the laziness uh, yeah, I do. and and you know when i made for example when i made the obama hope poster i put it on my website free download I did uh, a you know a Q and A with a blog, which I then reposted to give some quick um, explanation of why I was supporting Obama. And I said, "But don't take my word for it, and don't just agree with me if you like the image." Here's Obama's website. Yeah. Here's some of his speeches. Go check it out for yourself. Make up your own mind. Yeah. That's where I'm coming from. Yeah. So what I'm trying to do, what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is, uh, you know, here's, here's my disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is that, uh, yes, I'm making things that I understand work with the nature of how people communicate and how uh, they, you know, they decide within a blink of, uh, of an eye whether they are going to look at something any further or whether they're going to turn away and move to the next thing. They're being assaulted by thousands and thousands of images a day. So I've got to work within an, you know, with that understanding. Um, But that I don't want that to be the end of it. I want, I want my works to try to push people to look into things rather than say, here's the easy way to package it and, and make it a signifier for who I am. And then that's it. Yeah. Well, that doesn't sound selfish at all. <laughs> that that to me that that kind of gets back to the that's that's an answer to then to the question. Like especially if your intent is, hey, I'm going to make this art that's going to grab your attention, it's going to make you feel something in an instant because that's the power that art has. But hopefully, I'm going to then channel that feeling into, hey, do something, do something more. Don't just be satisfied with this momentary emotion that the art provided you. Look into it. Use your brain. Do some reading. Like, check yourself. Yeah. You know. Well, that's that's the goal, and I know that it only happens, you know, maybe just a fraction of the times. But that still is better than me doing nothing, and that's and I can. Um, you know, I I can feel like it's worthwhile, and uh, and yeah, I have to I, because otherwise I'd feel like my existence was meaningless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it can't be that. <laughs> All right, I feel good about us answering this question. I want to <laughs> ask you one more thing. I've been uh, I've been doing at the end of these conversations because the the initial question comes from someone out there on the internet. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of good questions that can spawn an entire conversation like this. We also get some weird questions. 
and uh, it can be a fun way to wrap up the episode. <laughs> I'm just ask you, are you, you down to answer a weird question? Sure. All right. So this question is from uh, Jeffrey K. Howard from Las Vegas, Nevada. Can God create a boulder so big he can't lift it? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, first of all, I'm, I'm agnostic. So, um, <laughs> there's that, but then, um, you, you ever seen the movie Dodgeball? No, I remember it. Yeah. It's uh, Ben Stiller and, uh, and Vince Vaughn and you know, okay. it's about Dodgeball and, but Jason Bateman has this really funny part where, um, he's playing a, a doofus sort of. I'll turn a sports bro caster, you okay. know, and um, and uh, there 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 might be a uh, a, a disqualification um, for them not having enough players on their dodgeball team, and uh, and and uh, one of the one of the commentators says, um, if uh, if they don't get their other player in, they're gonna have to forfeit, and Jason ba- Bateman goes, um, forfeiture. That's a bold strategy. Let's see how it pays plays out for them. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, um, so anytime something is a, a bad idea, I always say it's it's a bold strategy. And if it's an even worse idea, it's a bolder strategy. A bolder. So, yep, yeah, there we go. God <laughs> had an even bolder strategy. <laughs> that was not the answer I expected. <laughs> nice, man. Shepard Ferry, thank you so much for doing this, dude. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, and that is our show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks to our guest, Shepard Ferry. Thanks to the folks who asked this week's questions. Shishuraj Karmalkar, he goes on the internet, at SK is Calvin. And Jeffrey K. Howard, who goes by at Vegas Film Critic. You can get your questions in either email, creativeprocessing at hitrecord.org, or... uh, right on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, use the creative processing hashtag. And if you're interested in diving deeper, making some art about any of the uh, topics that we were talking about today, check out Hit Record. Go to hitrecord.org slash creative processing. We'll be collaborating on all kinds of various creative endeavors inspired by uh, today's conversation. The producers of the Creative Processing Podcast are Raymond Way, Lexi Tinkersley, audio produced by Keir Schmidt. Thanks to Cadence 13 and everyone at the Hit Record office. And uh, thanks again to you for listening. See you next week.